In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I have another loss to talk about. This one, a 90-88 defeat to the Milwaukee Bucks. We go over James Harden's incredible play, Joel Embiid's terrible play, and try to take a step back to figure out which of those two developments is more important for the Sixers' title chances. One note is that after we recorded this podcast, Doc Rivers revealed that Joel Embiid had plantar fasciitis in the offseason. He noted that Joel Embiid is not currently feeling any impact of that, but that it could be contributing to his conditioning level not being at its best early in the season. That is relevant to a portion of the podcast where we talk about Joel Embiid's play. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman to talk about your 0-2 on the path to 0-82 Philadelphia 76ers. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I, a couple days ago, I heard that Philadelphia sports was a vibe. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, if, if that is what we had to go through to get a Game 3 win here in the NLCS, that's fine. That's fine. There's 80 more of them. I'm okay with that. The Sixers are—they're sure a vibe right now, just yeah, not, a, not a good, not one. a positive one. So I think when you take a step back and look at these two games, there have been two pretty undeniable takeaways. One is somewhat surprisingly, holy crap, James Harden looks good. I'm not going to say prime MVP James Harden, but like he looks like a reasonable approximation of the James Harden who start who who initially arrived with the Brooklyn Nets, the pre. Hamstring injury, Brooklyn Nets, James Harden. He's starting to look like 35 points against the Celtics, 31 points against the Bucks. I think what was particularly impressive, but the one against the Bucks, he didn't even have his three point shot going. He got his points in different ways. Passed the ball really well against the Bucks, uh, which maybe he didn't do a whole lot of against the Celtics, but that's more because they needed his scoring. He has looked really good in pretty much all facets offensively. And we'll add that caveat offensively because, like you pointed out last podcast, you still need to acknowledge that. The other takeaway is that Joel Embiid looks like pretty much hot garbage. And when you talk about winning basketball, Joel Embiid playing well is really important to this team's chances. So we'll take a step back and just ask you, Rich, what has been the overriding theme in your mind of these first two games? And what do you think is more important long term? You said it, man. There are some games afterwards when I have to write a story, a column, whatever, Throughout an 82-game season, it's hard to find the narrative on some of those games. Last night's loss, that was as easy of a narrative as it was. To, like That was just perfectly clear, and it's exactly what you said. James Harden, surprisingly good. Joel Embiid, surprisingly awful. And I would add a third thing, too. Going into the season, we thought that their chemistry together would at least make James Harden and the offense excellent that has been bad to start as well um that is the one i am the least concerned about but i i did want to acknowledge that that their their chemistry in the pick and roll for some reason and i would even add like tyrese Maxey not being involved their overall offensive execution and familiarity and it's really like you know i'm not when you say that it's not even so much just Embiid and Harden's familiarity it's all the pieces around them like they legitimately don't seem like they have any idea where they're supposed to position themselves and move off of that pick and roll it's surprising 
It's very surprising, right? Because you have a team in Milwaukee who's a very good defense, but you also had Grayson Allen on the court for a lot of the yeah. game. He was guarding Tobias Harris for a lot of it. You have, you know, Maxi able to maybe get that matchup. I mean, they, they did start two pit bulls in Drew Holiday and Javon Carter. So, you know, th- that was a tough defensive unit they went up against. Along with a whole lot of size in Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Yeah. No, they mm-hmm. certainly, yeah. Th- that said, especially with the starting unit, because we spoke about, okay, the ancillary pieces need to be able to stand in the right spots, you know, get get to the second action, all of those things. It- it's surprising that this starting unit looks so lost offensively. It's the same group we saw score a billion points against the Toronto Raptors in the first round last year and all the games prior to that too. So that's a little bit surprising as well. But as far as um as far as the two main takeaways, the two players, one surprisingly good, one surprisingly bad, I don't know which one to rate more. It's so so heading into the season I think we wrote about, I wrote about this, you wrote about it, we we talked about it. To us, like the biggest swing skill, the biggest swing factor, how does James Harden look as a scorer? Yeah. Okay, that's been an A-plus through two games. I. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was, you're right, it's not prime Houston Harden in part because, my God, it's a lot of mid-range jumpers he's taking. Oh, my God, But, yeah. I mean, but it was, it was fun to watch uh, him against a Boston Celtics switching defense that is built to shut him down, and then Drew Holiday on him the entire game. And I thought Drew did a good job not getting switched and not getting discouraged, but Harden lit him up to a degree there, which is, uh, that's cool. That's Again, it's like we said last game. It's not getting much harder than that. So it's a good sign uh, to start. But the, the other fundamental takeaway with Joel being so bad is that this team... They got a long time until the games matter. But if James Harden is the one who's outplaying Joel Embiid by a lot, they got no shot. No, no. shot. I agree. They need Joel Embiid to be the best player on, on, on the floor. I do still take a step back and say, look, these games have been wildly frustrating. Just wildly frustrating to watch because Joel Embiid just mentally and physically just does not look like he's ready to play NBA basketball. And I don't entirely know the reasons or the justifications or the excuses or the explanations for either of those. And it's it's well, very he, well. He left them all open by not talking to us. That's last. true. That's true. Yeah, and his his body language on that. The, look, Tobias made a, a disastrous decision there <laughs> on the uh, Wesley Matthews you game think? winner. But Joel Embiid, like just throwing up his hands and like shrugging, like what the hell are you doing? That's yeah. like one of the things I would have loved for him to grow out of a little bit. Especially in last night, it stuck out because like, dude, if you don't make 20 mistakes earlier in the game, that play doesn't even matter. Um, you don't really exactly have the basketball high ground to stand on in this one. But his body language has been awful. His energy level has been awful. <sighs> you know, it's frequently stated that the prime of an athlete's career is when your mental understanding of the game improves enough while you're still in your physical prime. You're still physically able to do everything that you're capable of doing. And there's a couple of year overlap where those two are true. And for some players that might be longer than the other. Well, right now, Joel Embiid is playing with all of the feel of a 22 year old and the energy level of a 32 year old. He's got sort of like the inverse of that prime. And it's just, I don't know why. And it's, it's tough to watch. It's frustrating to watch. It's inexcusable. But I go back to what we said on the last pod. 
I expect Joel Embiid to return to form eventually. I don't know. You know, I, I pointed this out. We both, you pointed it out um, last night. I pointed it out in my column today. Joel Embiid has these times where he just looks bad to start the season. And really, it's happened two of the last three years, uh, including last year when he ended up being an MVP runner-up. And I don't know why it happens. He also has years where he comes out on fire, like the 2018-19 season where he was incredible to start the year. It's, it's very hit or miss. I expect eventually Joel Embiid to play like an MVP caliber basketball player. And if that happens, then I think the bigger takeaway from these first two games is that James Harden looks like a very legitimate, very capable running mate who I now have, if he can continue to do this through the rest of the season, more confidence being able to do that in the playoffs against the, that level of competition. But going back to your point, you need Joel Embiid to be the best player on the team. You need him to round back up into being that best player and then the hardened development matters a lot. I still think we're eventually going to get that, but it's been it's been really tough to watch. It's from a narrative standpoint, it's been a very fascinating first couple of games because it, it depending on how you want to look at it, how much stock you want to put into why this is happening to Embiid, how long it's going to take for him to play better. I think you can realistically be pretty positive or pretty negative about how this season has started because of how important the Harden swing value, uh, variable is. Let me ask you this: what, what, um, what do you think is going on with Joel? Because I, and it's it's a little irresponsible, I would say, to speculate. But again, like he didn't talk last night, so we also just are just going on what we we are seeing. It's also a podcast. We can irresponsibly speculate a little bit, I would say. That's what these are for. What do you think is the the real reason? And and I think that the other part of this is when we say we think he's going to get back, we can also say, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. But but I guess what what is, like, standing out to you with what's going wrong with him? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he mentioned this during training camp where he didn't have as much time to work because of the work he had on the thumb uh and in the past Joel Embiid when he has a full summer to devote to basketball activities comes out really strong in such a season and when he doesn't yeah. it can be a a slow ramp up he does feel like a player who really needs to be in a groove and in a rhythm and he has which we mentioned last spot he has none of that right now he has negative rhythm and it just feels like all the timing and the decision making is off his jumper his mid-range jumper is not there so last night he had, you know, Brooke Lopez on him. And Brooke Lopez is one of the few people in the league he can't just completely bully inside. And a couple of times he tried to bully him. You know, one of them, he was wild and threw up a bad shot, which turned into a transition opportunity. The other time, Brooke Lopez blocked him at the rim. Or was that Giannis? Was he it got Giannis blocked once by Giannis. And then no, once he got by blo- Brooke. Yeah, it was yeah. Giannis kind of strong side with Brooke helping. But then he also got stuffed by Brooke right. on a, a similar, I'm going to try and bully you over right, and right, dunk right. on you. So yep. he wasn't he wasn't getting those. And then when he tried to revert to his his mid range pull up, it wasn't falling. And then when he tried to take people off the dribble, he just basically handed it to the other team. So I think there's all kinds of things where he's just completely out of rhythm. He's probably not in the shape that he needs to be. But I really don't like making an excuse here because he should be better than he currently is. But in the past, we've seen Joel where something like this happens and he needs time to get back to where he needs to be, which is in part why, you know, he's always gotten in better shape. And in better rhythm as the season has gone on, he does seem like he's one of those players where the more he plays, the more basketball he plays, uh, the better he is for it. But it's wildly disappointing and borderline unacceptable. 
don't yeah. know. Completely agree. The thumb is probably the worst or the most worrisome thing for me, like you said, though, because I look at the two things. One, he can't dribble right now. That's a that's an issue, and yeah. I think that stems to he also can't catch either too. Like, and he also dropped a bunch he, of he also said uh, in pick that, and roll passes. Yeah, he also said in the in training camp that like the thumb doesn't feel the same way it did before the injury, yeah, and he, he doesn't know if that's just the new reality or not. And you kind of just like sometimes Joel Embiid has a a, a way to be a little he's, bit dramatic. He's very dramatic. Yeah. Yes. So you didn't know exactly whether or not that would be the case. But you look at it now and you wonder, oh, well, maybe he actually can't grip the ball. And again, I don't really like making an excuse for him because his his effort level isn't there anyway. So he doesn't really deserve the excuse. But you wonder if that could be factoring into it. And that's the worrisome thing to me because he, he made those comments. And again, I don't know if that's the actual reason. I don't know if it's something that he can work around. Like when, when he says it's not going to feel the same way, is that something that it just takes getting used to, right. to getting his... uh his touch back, but like can't catch it, can't dribble it and can't shoot it right now. And it got to the point where, where doc just made a, a passing comment, but he was absolutely right about this. The hardest shot that James Harden hit in last night's game came on a pick and roll at the end of the game. They ran a pick and roll. He throws the same exact lefty pocket pass that he threw 8 billion times to Embiid last year, wide open Embiid at the, uh, at the elbow, I guess Drew Holiday was somewhat in the uh, in the picture, but come on, rhythm jumper for Joel. Like it's a wide open shot, yeah. Death and taxes territory. Joel passes it back to Harden, who takes a catch and shoot seventeen footer, drills it. It just shows like the up is down, down is up right yeah. now. Like it's just there's a lot of weird shit going on with those two. Uh, he just doesn't have any confidence in that game, and I, I guess that to me is the most concerning thing long term because that's something that theoretically I don't, I don't know if that gets better or that is uh it just continues to be an issue you uh you mentioned the physical fitness that's always something people say at this point and it's a little tough because look he's never going to be the the iron man triathlete during a game like part of the reason he's awesome at basketball is because he weighs so much and he's that skilled with the ball so He's never going to be out there uh, <laughs> He's know, not running Giannis. the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, I mean, he looked. He, I, I think what's the issue is he starts losing focus because yeah. he's tired. The uh, The turnover he had when he was trying to throw the ball, I guess it was to Maxi when, when Javon Carter was hounding him from the in the backcourt. That's, that's two in a row. He, he threw one in Boston where he just threw a, a lazy lollipop to Jalen Brown for a dunk. You can't have that stuff, man. And it's it's like you said, it's uh it's wildly disappointing. I think his last two third quarters have been two of the most disappointing third quarters I have ever yeah. seen from him. And I don't wanna it's two games, whatever, blah, 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 but like actively an anchor on the yeah. team. Like the worst player. He's got the worst that game swung uh, when plus, they brought him back in. He's got the worst plus minus on the team right now. And I, I guess we're just kind of reacting to this level because it's just, it's visceral. It's like, what the hell is yeah. going on right now? It's been the exact opposite for your entire career. And yeah, you're right. It got to the point where, and I, I don't blame Doc for this because. No, you were never going to keep Joel Embiid on the bench for the final 10 minutes of the game. Never. This is a Joel, never. this is a Joel Embiid yep. team. This is, and, and also he's probably right too. Like, I'm not sure you could play that small ball lineup like 12 minutes in a row. So you do have to come with somebody else into the game, but it's a fair point. That 
they got back into the game by playing small and scrambling and having Harden just yeah. take the offense. They might win that game if they leave that unit in no i mean and it's just it's crazy to say harden after the game they were like well what you know what worked with that small ball unit i think it was harden might have been might have been doc. house or doc but they asked you know what was uh you know what got you back into the game it's like well our, our defensive intensity picked up when we went small ball oh there was also one other change that happened there the reason why you went small ball joel and beads defensive intensity and that's why like all of these reasons or excuses i'm not too keen on right now because he's just not giving you what you need from him Look, they played much better when he was on the bench in the second half. He ended up the second half, what, 0 for 7 with, I think, three turnovers. And all three of those turnovers, once again, I think, turned into points for the other, on the other end. Um, Zero assists as well. And just no rhythm. The whole offense has no rhythm. And it was startling when he came out then, because all of a sudden, they played off of each other. Now, it's it's an easy game to play. It's a, you know, let Harden ISO and kick it out to a shooter. Like, there's not a whole lot... You've really not, got to worry about that, but they look better not, in those minutes. And not only that, they had two guys on the floor who had done that for a long time yeah, with them yeah. too, as well. Uh, and I thought, again, another positive: PJ Tucker got lit up by Jason Tatum in the first game. PJ Tucker was awesome yeah. in the second half. I think he he, he defended Giannis for like sixty four percent of Giannis's. I've never seen a number that high. You always see that split between three or four people, just because it's so taxing. It's so much to ask someone to do that for a full game. PJ Tucker did. That for all, and look, I think you can look at the point total on this game, the holding the Bucks to ninety points, and maybe come away with a little different than what happened. I think by and large, the Sixers' perimeter defense was better than Boston, but I don't necessarily think it was a good defensive performance. PJ Tucker was good defensively for sure. Yeah, and and Giannis was efficient, but he I, I felt like he was letting the game come to him to a pretty heavy degree. Yeah, which is okay. Uh, Look, I, I thought PJ was was very good. Um, even even got Harden defending a little bit during that time against Giannis. He he bided him up on the one fadeaway that Giannis missed, and then he had another steal where he's he's falling into the Bucks bench and he saves it. And I'm just yep. like, this is uh, this is new stuff right now. But he was he was fired up and he was he was playing awesome. But yeah, I, I guess just to to wrap up my thoughts on Embiid. Look, this is not disqualifying for the Sixers for the rest of the year. And it's really, no. yep. I, I think we would have had this conversation if Tobias did not make the bonehead decision yeah, and they won the game. I think we would have had this conversation if Harden makes the floater at the end, which was a tough shot, but, you not know, it's like a 40, shot. 40, 50% shot. It rimmed out. Like he could have made that one. The, uh, I, I just think like when you look at the big picture takeaway, though, it's that Joel is not near where he was, and it's just the opposite of how it's been for so long. Even last year, he struggled shooting the ball at the beginning of last year. Like his uh, his mid-range was very far down from that previous year when he was just making everything. But I, I actually think his energy level was super high, and he was motivated by the bent stuff too. Like they got off to, I think, an 8-2 and two start where he was pushing the ball, he was um, he was getting into the dribble handoffs. He was playing great defense. He was saying all the right things. Like the shooting wasn't there last year, but the you know we talk about effort level, energy, all that stuff that was there. You know he was blocking DeRozan at the rim on final possessions. It was a a good, admirable start for him last year. And it's just weird because now he's got a better team. He's got more dudes on, on the squad this year, and he's just not giving them what they need. So that's. That's the most important thing. 
moving forward. And look, it's not disqualifying for him. Luka Doncic was pretty fat for the first two months <laughs> of last year. And once the conference finals rolled around, like he was maybe the best player in the world at that point. So again, it's October. I, I am trying to keep the proper perspective, but those were two games that he should have been up for and he was yeah. not up for them. And that's disappointing. I don't through two games, negative 15.1 net rating when Embiid is on the floor, plus 19.6 when he's been on the bench. Low sample size, meaningless numbers, but he hasn't lifted them, and he's been a, a an anchor at various points of these two games in a way that I don't know if I've ever been able to see or say. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, look, that's that's the bad part, and we'll see if Joel gets better. I. I sure hope so. It's it's fun to watch him play basketball when it's good. It's certainly not fun to watch him play basketball like he did the last two nights. Give me um give me the main take on Harden. What's sticking out to you there? I mean the main takeaway for me is when he makes some of these moves, he has just enough burst to get by his guy. Which last year I felt like he would make the move and still he'd have that guy attached on his hip. Uh he made another couple of nice crossovers where he was able to explode out of that. And not again explode out of it like Tyrese Maxey explodes out of a cut, but enough to where he can get by his guy and get into the paint. Uh, he made a nice spin move for a layup. He's made a lot of really, I, I think the passing has maybe gone under notice, especially last night. Um, he made it, what do you have, like three assists to Tyrese leaking out? Nobody else on that team even makes those passes. So that's great. He had we we a, did that drill in high school. We called it lay it out front, like just throw it over the top. He's unbelievable. Yeah. And Maxi is unbelievable at catching them. Too, yeah, and so. he's also really, really fast. I don't know if anybody's yeah. noticed that yet. Um, new observation here. <laughs> he's made a couple of good pocket passes to Embiid, even though Embiid hasn't necessarily done a lot with it. He's He found P.J. Tucker in the corner. He's just been a really good, pretty much anything good they had offensively probably came from Harden. And then, you know, you've got one game where you got the step back working, and that's great. You've got one game where, all right, the Bucks take that away now. Different pretty good deviation from what they did a few years ago, but that they now make more of an effort to deny those threes. So he took legitimately more mid-range jumpers than he's ever made in his life. Made seven <laughs> mid-range jumpers last night. He made 21 all year. 21 all year. Uh, the most and, mid-range jumpers he's made in a game, courtesy of our friend Tim Bontemps. And I got another stat too. Nine of 12 on non-restricted area too. So that includes his floaters. Yeah. So he, I mean, he shot floaters last year too, when you add those in. In I think it was 21 games with the Sixers, he made 12 of those. So yeah. 75% of them. Now, on the to way be there fair, he took a fair game. amount of floaters last year. He just seemed like seemingly didn't make any of them. He took some he floaters had, in the middle of the paint. Yep. He had he had better touch last night. Uh, look, if he's getting to his spots, good things going to happen, both for him as a scorer. You pointed out last podcast where him getting to those spots and being a little more of a scare off the dribble opens up that step back three. So he'll make more of those step back threes. And it opens things up as a passer too. Um, if if you get to the point where Joel Embiid is legitimately playing at an MVP level and you have this version of James Harden, they're going to do really good things on offense. Really, really, and it can't be overstated. These are coming against the Celtics and the Bucks, and the Celtics are a team that can switch everything. And like you mentioned last pod, if if Ike Stewart switched on to him, he was lost last year. He's having more success against that now, and it came against a guy in Drew Holiday who a couple of years ago people joked that he was. You know, the Harden stopper he wasn't because nobody was stopping him at that stage of his career. But he was a guy in, in Holiday who had success one-on-one -on -one against against Harden. 
and who theoretically could have been matched up on him last night all night and made Harden's life difficult. And Harden just ran him through pick and rolls and got to his spots and, and found success. It, it, you called it an A+. If you had any realistic expectations of, of what you hope James Harden would be this year, so far he's been that. Yeah, Drew, Drew's defense, too, in last night's game was excellent, I thought. I can't say enough about Drew's on-ball yeah. defense. He's so sticky getting around those screens. He's, uh, man, he's just a terrific defensive player. They probably have him doing a little bit too much on the offensive end with Middleton not being there. But just from a defensive standpoint, for Harden to score against him is uh, is impressive. And, yeah, he didn't get to the rim all that much, but Milwaukee is better at taking away those rim attempts than anybody. So, if he has that shot in his bag, that's where James Harden, the you know the kind of the basketball genius that he is, if he has more things to work with there, yeah, it, it's going to be good. Uh, and no, it's I mean, been, look, seven years ago, I'm only taking threes and layups because I can get threes and layups whenever I want. It almost seems like now there's a little bit of acknowledgement, like, hey, I can't get all the way to the rim anymore, so I'm mm-hmm. going to take this because our team needs it. And as much as Daryl Morey is an analytics guy. As much as James Harden learned under Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers isn't necessarily an analytics guy, so he might be allowing him to embrace that a little bit more. But I think it's the right move for this stage of James Harden's career. It's they need that right now. I don't think he's going to have games, a lot of games like last night, where he ends up taking no, you know, like nine, ten of those shots because of their scheme and their size. They're going to protect protect the the paint better than most teams, so you have to adjust. Yeah. It's just a good thing to have in your bag at the end of games when things get bogged down, you have to run a pick and roll, and and you're really just looking for points more than layups or threes. Like In a key situation, I think a James Harden step back 12 to 15 footer, that looks like an okay shot. And he said after the game, hey, I worked on this a lot in the offseason. Now, not only that was also a comment of, hey, I was healthy enough to work on it and my uh, I can actually move this year. My burst is there. And by the way, he gets to write the narrative. It looks like that's been true so far. I, you know, it it was a question of how much are we buying this? He's been talking all summer about the hamstring after not talking about it at all last season. It's, it's hard not to, to buy what he's selling right now, because he, it's like you said, he's got a half, he's a half step faster where he's not completely blowing by the guys, but he's doing enough to where he's getting fairly comfortable shots in the mid-range. And I think there'll be fairly comfortable shots at the rim when he's not playing against Brooke Lopez in a drop coverage, too. I think he can mix some of those in. You know, you saw that with the Grant Williams move in the first game. Um, I I'm I was kind of blown away by his first two games as an individual scorer. I was yeah, not expecting this at all. And, yeah, it's, it's a really encouraging shot, sign moving forward if Embiid can figure it out. And, and here's the other part if the team can figure out how to run their offense. And I, I guess that's kind of my last point on it was, you know, what was it like 82, 82 when MB checked back into the game, it was something like that where they, or it might've been 80, 80 where the small ball PJ Tucker group gets them back in the game. They bring MB back. I think they only scored eight points in the last yeah. five thirty eight of the game with him in. And one of those was PJ Tucker getting fouled on an offensive rebound. So it's like, eh, was that actually, you know, the offense creating buckets? Their offense Defense down the stretch. Yes. Yep. You're right. Their offense down the stretch of that game was completely clueless. There, there was one possession where Tobias had the ball against Giannis 
And like Harden was on the side, Embiid didn't want the ball, so they they he passed Embiid, and then the ball got back to him, and it's like, what is going on right yeah. now? It's like this is the worst matchup on the court. Uh, so they need to do a better job of attacking Grayson Allen in those situations. I I, I got by the way, I thought that was really bad. Like if you're trying to win the game, Grayson Allen's on the floor. Why does it take until the last freaking possession to step Tyrese Maxey up and set a screen? Like, come on, man. What, yeah. what is going on? And I'm not too worried about the wins and losses, but like, you know, wh- wh- why don't you pretend like you care a little bit here as a, as a team? They, they just looked very disinterested and unorganized as a group. And that's, uh, that's disappointing. Now, I do think that will get better moving forward, but that's the other thing I want to point out is that as good as, Harden has been individually as good as the over-the-top passes to Maxi look. The Sixers' starting offense just does not look like it's in sync at all. And the, the fact that P.J. Tucker is the only new addition there, that's, uh, that's disappointing. They should be better than that, and Harden takes some responsibility there. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. What did you think of, uh, you know, Doc went with Paul Reed in the first half, a brief stint with Montrez Harrell there in the third quarter. Or in the start of the fourth quarter, I think it was. And then he brought Tobias in for Harold real quickly and went with that five small lineup. Uh, what did you think about the backup center rotation and the backup center play? The play was whatever. The, the rotation was bizarre. I don't know. You play Paul Reed. I don't think he was horrible in the first half, but I saw Doc yelling at him. So maybe on rewatch, I'll find some Paul Reed thing that I wasn't looking for, but... I don't know. I thought Montrez was terrible in the first half the other night. Yeah. And then he got to play the second half. Uh, yeah, it wasn't that good. I, I guess the the silver lining for Doc is that he he went to the tuck wagon, the, the new version yeah. of that group, and that group got them back in the game. I get it. That group's probably not going to outscore the opponent by a billion points every time they play. That group is good, and that group is good probably going to be the backup unit come playoff time in a million months. So I don't really have anything else to say except like the switching looks good. 
Tobias in that group looks pretty good with House and um, who else do they have left for? They have Melton and, and Harden, whatever. That that group looked yeah. good. It looked fast. Harden, Melton, House, Tobias, Tucker. Yep. Yeah. And, and Tucker is continues to just be a hilariously good rim protector while not jumping. <laughs> he just knows where to stand to cut off these drives and, and sees it. So... Yeah, that, that whole thing was awesome. I, I I don't really know. But as far as like Doc's rotation, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, I, there was uh, something I linked to um, from Mass Live. Hold on, let me pull it up here. All right. So Montrez Harrell had an interview with Brian Robb of Massachusetts Live, basically talking about how the Celtics and, the, and Harrell had talks. And at one point, he says, uh, they had a few conversations with with the Celtics, um, with my agent, but the role they wanted me to be in wasn't going to benefit me, just their situation. At the same time, it's got to be a give and take, but you have to give some things. So when you read that, and about how the role that they asked him to play was only going to benefit the Celtics and not Harold, and then you say, well, do you really think this guy came here to sit behind Paul Reed? And we mentioned this a couple podcasts ago. It's great to have all these options, but can you keep all three of these people happy? Tucker, you can, because he's going to be starting and getting minutes regardless. But when you have three options like this at one backup center and two of the options can't play alongside of each other, and you read that quote, I do worry. All right, well, how the hell is Doc going to keep both Reed and specifically Harold happy, especially in these high-profile matchups where Harold probably shouldn't be on the floor? He did not have a chance defensively against the Bucks. He didn't have a chance defensively against Celtics either, and it's hard for him to roll to the rim like he's accustomed to. Uh, I don't agree with going with him in the third quarter. I think it was predictably not going to work. Credit the Doc for pivoting after three minutes, um, but I do worry about keeping Harold happy and about how he can contribute against some of these tougher squads. Yeah, and I guess part of the answer is they're about to play the Spurs and the Pacers, yeah, so yeah. you know what? Go ahead and play my oh, no, against those teams. He'll, he'll have be fine. 14 and 10 minutes tomorrow, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It's it's a great question. I you know, and I'm not even saying Trez is a bad guy for this, but he's just a veteran that wants to play yeah. and it's... he didn't come here to play behind Paul Reed. I understand it. He wants his next contract. He's on a minimum deal. Uh he he should be thinking about both the team and himself. But it's a it's a tough spot to keep them all happy. It just is. But it's easier on a team that's not trying to win. I guess uh I guess we should retire the win a championship thing until they win an actual game first. But, you know, ult- ultimately is, is trying to win a bunch of rounds come uh, come this spring. Yeah, it's uh, it's something to look for moving forward. I, I wrote about it in my predictions column where I just thought this dynamic was fascinating because of all the things you said. The first two games has not made me feel any different about the awkwardness yeah. of the the situation, especially considering Trez's status in the league and the fact that you're right, he probably should want a new contract because he's he's ultimately better than a minimum contract player. Any other thoughts on Harris, Maxi, House, Melton? Anything? They got to get Maxi more involved. I, yeah, I don't. I, agree. I, agree. I, I thought in the first game that was a little bit more Maxi's fault. Where uh, I, I don't know. They, they they tried to get some plays where they ran. You know, like weak side handoffs, like Chicago action from Embiid at the top of the key for him. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's awkward. I, it's, it's weird because 
in the first game last season in Minnesota, Harden and Maxi had the greatest rapport yeah. ever. So this is the whole not being on the same page thing is kind of weird to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think James is probably he feels better physically. He wants to be a little more aggressive. And last year he was deferring because he probably knew I can't do what I want to do. So it was probably easier to find shots for Maxi. There was just probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve there. But you would it's expect probably getting that, off the ball easier. Yeah. Yeah, but you I, what I, you you would expect, you know, you combine regular season and playoffs. What do they play? Probably thirty five games together. You'd expect it to be a little further along than what we've seen in two games. That's fair. Remember that Raptor series when they were just running one yeah. two pick and roll to death? They were spamming people with that, and Maxi was scoring a billion points. I. It's just weird. Yeah, I don't completely understand it, but as as far as my um my concerns, yeah, that's concerning for the as far as the first two games are happening. That's going to change at some point. It just is. I it's Harden's too smart, Maxie's too good. Yep, that, I agree. That'll get fixed at some point, but it's I, agree. I mean, that's contributed to the frustrating part of this where, you know, look, that that Bucks defense is really good. The Sixers should not be scoring 88 points in a no. game. Come on. There's way too much firepower here. Yep, I agree. And, certain, and Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and w- one other thing with that, too. They did shoot five of 24 from three. They had better looks than that. They just bricked a bunch of them. Get, getting up more threes than that is... Yep. I, I know the Bucks take that away, but they, they they got outplayed, I thought, from a a mass standpoint in uh, in last night's game. And I think some of that is just they're just not on the same page as they're not finding Maxi for uh, the shots that they need to. I agree. Concern level, you know, I am concerned about the team's perimeter defense. More concerned than I was before the season started. A concern that I probably undersold a little bit. Concerned about Joel Embiid's thumb. I think that was a good point that you brought up because that is the one thing we truly don't know. Everything else, offensively, I think they're going to figure it out eventually. Embiid, if the thumb isn't an issue, I think he'll figure it out. It's the perimeter defense, and it's that whatever percent chance that that thumb is a bigger long-term concern than we gave it credit for at the beginning. If the thumb is okay, I, I'm I'm still not worried about them winning a ton of games. I, I really am not. And it's it, uh, we should em- emphasize this. Yeah, they they lost last night's game, but I don't I, I don't care about that as much as just like they're playing like shit because of yeah. Embiid for the most part. It's uh. Once that gets fixed, though, they're, they're going to start winning a bunch of games. And I, I also think as bad as they played, and I, I get Middleton and Connaughton are out, and that's going to be a better team with those guys. Chris Middleton is a very underrated player and a key half-court initiator for them. Uh, with how poorly they they got outplayed by a lot. They should have won the game. I, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, just it's a frustrating start. It's It's a frustrating, strange start, and maybe that's all it is. We'll see moving forward, but I don't know. <laughs> yep, I agree. All right. Uh, I think that's probably a good enough place to cut this off, especially now that we're back doing two a week. We don't need to talk for an hour and a half about how much that game sucked. Well, and we it'll be good. Hopefully, they'll start winning some games so we can get off the yeah, top. We no have to shit. talk about one single game where we have to extrapolate yep. all these takes from uh, yep. from one single game. So, but uh, easier teams coming up and... You know, hopefully that's uh, that'll get Harden and Embiid specifically back on track. As sirens go off in the background, which feels like a fitting way to end a talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, 
Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. When you are down, lift your head off the ground. There's a lot to be learned, so look around. Once there was a silly old ant, thought he'd move a rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had high apple pie in the sky. Hope so when you start to feel it low, instead of letting go, just remember that ant. Oop, there goes another rubber tree. Up there goes another rubber tree. Oop, there goes another rubber tree plant. <laughs>